0: Well, once again, happy Mother's Day, and while I have never been a mom and don't intend to ever be one, I've had great exposures to to moms. I have a mom. I'm married to a mom. My daughter is a mom, and as a pastor, I know a lot of moms. Now, I could go on and on about all the great things moms do. Some of you are like, oh, do, Pastor Jim, please tell us all the wonderful things that we do. Uh, And there are many. So thanks, moms. We love you and we appreciate you. Probably don't always tell you so, but we do. But moms, like the rest of us, particularly moms, worry a lot about the future, especially when they see things are not going sort of the way they envisioned it, sort of according to their plans. And like all of us, Moms don't like when there is no future in sight. And so the title of our message today is, When Life is on Hold. Or you might want to draw, you know, those little arrows we draw sometimes. We want to throw another word in there. When life seems to be on hold. The prophet Habakkuk can relate. It's around 600 B.C., and there had been a revival under King Josiah, and King Josiah had died, and God's people had gone off the rails. And so Habakkuk comes to God, and he has an honest question about all of the you know, things that are going on in the land of Judea and in the land of uh, Jerusalem, in the city of Jerusalem. And he says, "Hey, God, things are not going well. Uh, what are you going to do about it?" So God gives him the answer. What He's going to do about it? He says, "Oh, you know the world superpower, Babylonians, those savage beasts. I'm going to let them come in and take care of the situation." Now, for Habakkuk, that would be just that would not compute. I mean, he referred last week we saw to God as the Holy One, and it's like he wants to say to God, you're, "Wait a minute. Let me. You're going to let the wicked punish the less wicked." You could just picture his reaction to that. I would be like. Sorry, God, just excuse me one second here. I I think I I misunderstood you. Could you please repeat that? I I thought that I heard you say that you're going to let the pagan Babylonians take care of the situation. Yep, that's what God said. And now, because God is not on our timetable, you've noticed that, haven't you? Habakkuk has to wait for the answer, and waiting must be... Totally agonizing for him. When we come to Habakkuk chapter 2, it's often a glossed over part of the book. And I think that's sad because there's a lot of practical help in this chapter. Uh, With the exception of the second half of uh, verse 4, which is very famous, it's easy to miss how the beginning in particular of this chapter helps us when our world is shaken. That's because, as the old preachers used to say about problems, we glance at God and we gaze at Goliath. Do you understand what that means? We glance at God, oh, there's God, he's cool, and there's Goliath, Uh uh-oh, there's the problem, and our eyes are fixed on that problem in the wrong place. Here God will answer Habakkuk, but the answer seems to be something that puts the prophet's life on hold and I think God wants us to see that that's okay so if you're taking notes we want to have three points today the first is when life is on hold or it seems to be on hold you will need God's wisdom you will need God's wisdom chapter 2 verse 1 he writes I will stand my watch and set myself on the rampart that's the lookout tower and watch to see. So he's, he's on the lookout. He's not sure when God's going to speak. And watch to see what he, God, will say to me. Interesting. Another version says what he will say in me. And what I will answer when I am corrected. Another version says, and what I should reply about my complaint. In other words, the prophet's saying he knows he's a representative of God to his people. He says, I need God to tell me how I am to respond to people. And if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're not, we're glad you're here with us. But if you've been a follower of Jesus for a long time, I bet you feel that way now too. You're like, how do I explain this to my kids? How do I explain what's going on right now to my friends and And my family and my co-workers. So having questioned God about his apparent silence. Habakkuk realizes he has to wait for the answer. And do you like to wait? Do you like to wait? Well in the words of that really great 1980s theologian. Who you can still hear in an elevator every once in a while. uh, Bruce Hornsby. That's just the way it is. Sometimes, God's just going to make us wait for an answer. But that doesn't mean while we're waiting that we do nothing. That doesn't mean that we wait, when we're waiting, that we live without purpose. Knowing that, Habakkuk wants to position himself. He's continuing to get himself into the right place. He positions himself to hear from the Lord. Now, let's just stop for one second. Habakkuk's situation is this the people of God have gone off the rails. And it would be easy to think in this day and age, if the church was stronger, that we would not be subject to this pandemic. And that might well be. But it's also important to remember that there's been a lot of great disasters, some in the scriptures and some outside of the scriptures in times after the scriptures when there were great men and women of God that were living. And sometimes great men and women of God, let's just use the example here, a hundred years earlier, Isaiah. Here we have Habakkuk, and we have Jeremiah living at this time. Sometimes great men and women of God, great people of faith, are called to live in dark times. And sometimes the dark times that they're called to live in are going to get darker and darker. And so that te- teaches us a great lesson that we see in his life, that, that great faith believes in the promises of God. Great faith holds onto them tightly. It also tells us here in verse 1 something very interesting about Habakkuk, that, that he has great spiritual maturity. He knows the difference between his own voice and the voice of God. Now you're like, why is that important? Well, you know, there's a lot of people out there that are listening to their own voice and they think that every thought that comes into their mind is, uh, well, God told me. And then they're saying, well, God told me this and God told me that. And sometimes they're telling it to people and people are like, man, that's the stupidest thing I ever heard in my life. Like, your God's not very bright. But it's important to know the difference and you won't know the difference unless you become a real avid Bible reader between the the difference between the voice of God And the voice of yourself. The Old Testament scholar uh, Elizabeth Actemeyer said it well. She said, Prophets have no independent wisdom of their own. They are dependent on the Word of God, as we too are dependent for a true understanding of what God is doing and must ever search the Word now given us in the Scriptures. We'll talk more about that in a second from uh, what Peter wrote. But did you notice what we're seeing already right here in verse 1? There's the tension. We often talk about a tension. It doesn't mean they're opposite. It means that they're things that work together. It's the tension of our part and God's part. What's our part? We position ourselves to hear the word of the Lord. And we confidently expect God to speak and to help us understand the situation and or help us to remain faithful in situations when we totally don't understand what's going on. And this is the way that God has chosen to work in the world. For example, moms, you have a homework. I'm going to give the moms homework on Mother's Day. You can do it tomorrow. I'll give you the day off. I want you to read Exodus chapter 1 and then especially Exodus chapter 2. And you're going to see that Moses is saved. By who? By God and his mother. Two working together. There is a tension there. Both are true. But to get there after we've positioned ourselves, we need God's wisdom. And the good news is we have it in the Word of God. He's provided it for us. That's his part. And that he cares deeply for those who take their questions and their needs and their burdened hearts to Him. This is very important for Habakkuk right now in his own life. It's nice to see the, the prophets sort of, we're watching him kind of deal with everything that's going on as he's struggling, but he also knows that he has to hear from God, and as a prophet, he has to speak to the people of God. So his reaction, how he listens to God, and relays the message, really matters. Notice he says this. He's going to listen to God, and he says, when I am corrected. Wow. That's a soul-searching question, isn't it? Are you and I, will we, let the Word of God correct us? Now, again, it's hard to say. Oh, yes, of course, of course, of course. But a lot of times we get our voice gets in the mix of it and we start listening to our voice instead of the voice of God now now most people will not let God correct them and sad to say i fear that most american christians will not either they don't want warnings from God they don't want corrections from God they only want encouragement in how to get what they want from God. More than likely, this correcting uh, is, is that God is going to correct Habakkuk's view on how the situation should be resolved. Ever, remember we talked about that earlier? You have, a, you have an idea of how things should go? And you're like, oh, excuse me, God, I know how, this is my prayer request, but we can skip my prayer request. I'll just tell you how to fix it. And I'm sure... You know, Habakkuk's like, listen, forget the Babylonians. We could do this one in-house God. And so he's got to be corrected on that. But the reality is it, it takes divine wisdom to comprehend God's divine action. Now, some of you might say, but what if it doesn't come? But what if I'm like the prophet here and I'm waiting for God to speak well, that classic verse, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, sometimes called the John three sixteen of the Old Testament, says this, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. That's it, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. And there's something that we need to also do, and lean not on your own understanding. So that voice in your head that's always telling you what to do, maybe that's not exactly accurate. Verse 6, in all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. So this is a very interesting thing. What we're learning from the writer of Proverbs is that faith and trust comes before understanding. If you really want to understand God, you're going to have to put your faith and your trust in him. That's the way you're going to get his wisdom. Well, let's go to number two. When when life is on hold or life seems to be on hold, you will need God's word. You will need God's word. Verse two, then then the Lord answered me and said, this is God's second answer, write the vision and make it plain on tablets, and then a very puzzling statement, that he may run who reads it. So let's deal with the first part here. God says, write the vision. Some of your versions say revelation. Vision is probably a better word. And make it plain on tablets. Did you know that's essentially what the Bible is? A lot of people wonder what it is. And it's a written revelation from God in human words. Let me say that again slowly, in case you're new to this. That the Bible is essentially a a written revelation. Revelation from God, God telling us about the way things are, about Himself, in human words. Second uh, Peter chapter uh, one, verse twenty through twenty-one, and that's the Apostle Peter. He wrote these words. He said, "Knowing this first, and the idea is first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation." What, what does that mean? Uh, One version says, that comes from someone's own interpretation. So when the Bible writers are writing, they're not going, well, I think, and then my opinion. No, 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 not, not at all. He tells us, for prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. So to get the wisdom of God, this is our part. God's given us the word for us to get the wisdom we need to anchor our hearts in the Word of God. So God says to the prophet, write, write. That's very interesting to me. Instead of answering the prophet's question, instead of saying, you know, Habakkuk, oh, you want the answer? Here you go. He commands him to do something. He commands him to write. Because faith is essentially trusting in God. Put it down to its bare minimum, it is trusting in God. And how can one really know about God, since no human can really know about God? And the answer is simply this, through the word of God. Word speak, God, God. So God tells us about himself in his word. Notice God says, "Make it plain on tablets." What, is, what does "plain" mean? It actually literally means write clearly. Now, now, what does that mean? All of you students who are now homeschooling. You're maybe you're like, "Oh, do I have to write? You know, does that mean I have to have good penmanship?" Some of you are like, "What's a pen? I've never even heard of a pen." I think it means make it simple. Just and, you know. God's word is not like some encrypted thing on your your computer. It's not an encrypted mystery. In other words, he says, make it simple. Make it accessible. Jesus said, preach the good news from the rooftop. Now, what does that mean? Say it in a way that people understand it. Don't use a bunch of gobbledygook, a bunch of words that people don't understand. And he's telling Habakkuk, To preach it, to write it simply, make it accessible, and preserve it. Why? For my people in ages to come. So people 2,600 years later, that's where we are today, it is to them simple, accessible, and preserved. God wants his word to be understood by people. And a pastor's job is to make it simple and accessible. Now, that's not as easy as it sounds. I I understand that, and most pastors would prefer, and trust me, some weeks I would too, depending upon the passage, would just prefer to read a verse and then to dive into the pool of their own opinion. We call that springboard preaching. But I think it's important for any pastor to realize the great responsibility that God has given to us to preach and teach his people his word and this is one thing I know because if you don't know this about me I sat in the congregation for a lot of years before I became a pastor and I am well aware that a lot of people during the teaching of God's words are actually making important life decisions and so we need to be very very careful and clear on what God is saying so we must be simple However, simple does not mean simplistic. What what does simplistic mean? Simplistic means making things seem simpler than they actually are. Why is that? Because life is very complicated, it's very complicated. And so we don't want to make things seem, oh, it's not that complicated. No, it is complicated. So we want to simply teach people how to deal with a complicated life as the Word of God would have us to do it. Right now, our lives are very complicated. The future is very, very cloudy. And we all need the clarity of God's Word, not confusion and right now on the internet there is a lot of confusion out there about what's going on at this time in history there's lots of all kinds of silly predictions out there and conspiracy theories that that are not directly from god they're just a bunch of guys going well god told me well listen God could tell you anything, you, or you, you could think God tells you anything if you don't know the difference between his voice and your voice. A lot of times people will say, well, God told me this. I'm like, no, he didn't. They go, you don't know what he told me. I go, yeah, but I know what he didn't tell you. I didn't tell you that because it contradicts his word. And so there's a lot of things we need to be careful of. For those of you who are watching who live in the area in which we live in the New York, New Jersey metropolitan area. Now, for those of you watching in other parts of the country and other parts of the world, it might be different where you live. But I, wanna, I want us to understand something very, very important about the area in which we live in. We live in the hot spot, of COVID-19 in the United States of America. I walk away five minutes from my house and I go to a top of a hill and I can see New York City clear as day. A lot of the people that attend our church work in New York City. A lot of us have uh, people who used to attend here, and they moved into New York City to be closer to go to work. And there are a lot of pastors, some of them I've even met, that are on the Internet and that are screeching that we need to forget what the government says, and we need to start meeting. I get it. I get it what none of them are saying, and what all of us here in New York and New Jersey, the tri-state area, need to remember. We have more deaths than they have cases. Some of those people have almost nobody who's died. And every week, I'm rattling off the people who had loved ones in this congregation who died. And so let's remember that. There are people that have You know, they're they're saying, oh, we need to meet because in their county, right, or their sector of the world, that they've had, you know, 12 12 people die. In New Jersey, we're coming up on 10,000. And that's just in the northern part. And so we need to be responsible. And people are saying they're taking our right. No, we're loving our sheep. We're protecting our people. We're caring about people. That's what it is. And so be very, very careful in, in listening to such people. People need clarity now. They don't need confusion. If a guy wants to get and say, you know, in our area, it's not been a big deal. and We want to give it a shot. I get that. But it's not the same for everybody. False, self-serving prophets and pastors will tell people what they want to hear. Or they'll tell people that are only to their own advantage. But true Pastors and prophets will tell people what God says. And it may be, or it may feel like, that what the truth of God's word is, is that your life is on hold right now, and that your plans are pause. But loved ones, please listen. The work and the plan of God is never on pause. And if you are a child of God, if you've put your trust in Jesus Christ, then the work in your life is not on pause. It's not. It's just different than you expected it to be. He says at the end of verse 2 that he may run who reads it. What does that mean? It can mean a whole variety of things. I'll I'll put it down to, to two. I think it means we read the word of God and we run to obey it. There it is, it's clear, and we run to obey it. Another thing I think is we read the word of God, we hear the word of God, it's clear, and what do we do? Like Jesus said, we shout it from the rooftops. We run to proclaim it. The word of God is, the Bible is a living book. We run to the word, and then we run to adopt it as the way we live our lives. That's why it needs to be simple. That's why when you hear a guy go, you need a man of God to interpret the Bible for you. So that's why you need to come and hear from me. Run away. Run away from that guy. You need someone who explains it to you simply so you go inside your heart. Yep, God, I hear what you're saying. I know what I need to do. It needs to be simple. But at the same time, not just simple. It needs to be challenging and grace empowering. What do I mean by that? God is going to call you, God is going to call me to very challenging things in life. And all of his callings come with his empowering. That means that we want to tell people, yes, God has called you to this, but you're not on your own. Your response? Do what God says. His part? Is to empower you. and Because if we're not like that, if we don't preach like that, simple but challenging and grace-empowering will never mature. There is a system of thought in the United States of America that if you want your church to grow, teach everybody like they're in ninth grade. Really? That's pretty simple. And life is not that simple. Think about what your life was like in ninth grade, or I know if you're a ninth grader, you're like, "My life is complicated, Pastor Jim." Okay, I get it, but if you're older, life is a lot more complicated than a ninth grader. So, what is he saying to us? For a follower of Jesus, the word of God should be like a billboard on the side of the road. Like you're driving down the road, and you know, you picture a billboard. If you make it too busy, nobody's gonna get it. But what you do is you just get the message right out there, simple, bold, answer to the problem, what you need to do, next step you need to take, whatever it is, make it something so the people can't miss it whether they want to hear it or not. And the only way you miss a billboard is how? You look the other way. You decide that you don't wanna see what it has to say. Also, he says, write it on tablets. What what does that mean? Well, it's a good way to preserve it, but for our sake, let's think of it this way. When something's on tablets, we have tablets. They're what? They're portable. We can carry it with us as we can carry the word of God in our hearts wherever we go. So, in reality, this is what I say here a lot of times to people, family, right? This is family, right? In reality, loved ones, the only person putting your life on hold right now is you. The only person putting your life on hold right now is you. Because even now, God has a ministry for you. Psalm 119.32 says, I will run the course, another version says, path of your commandments, for you shall enlarge my heart. Another version says, you shall enlarge my understanding. Same Psalm 119, verse one hundred five, very famous verse. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Friend, even now, God has a path for you. It might not seem like it. You're like, I'm at home, I'm older, I'm high risk. What do I do? Your path is prayer. You are firing the winning shot. You are praying so God's will would be done, so God's people would be strengthened, so more people would put their trust in Jesus at this time. So we're still in, we're still in, you know, that we need God's word. Verse 3, I want to read it twice. It says. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it will speak, and it will not lie. Though it tarries, wait for it, because it will surely come, it will not tarry. Well, let's go slowly now. Uh, For, remember we said a lot of times that means because in the Bible. For or because the vision is yet for an appointed time. The idea is it is awaiting, what he is writing is awaiting a time that is to come, but at the end, it will speak. So there's, there's the, what's going on now. That's the thing about the scripture. It can speak to today, and it can speak all the way to the end of time, and it will not lie. Another version says it will not prove false. God is saying that his word is reliable, that it's true, that you can count on it. Though it tarries. Another version says, uh, if it seems slow, wait for it. Why should I wait for it? Because it will surely come. It will not tarry. Another version says, it will not delay. It will not be late. The idea is it will come to pass. First Peter chapter 1, verse 24 and 25. We go to the apostle Peter again. He says, because... And then he relates it to 700 years earlier in Isaiah chapter 40. All flesh is as grass. Flesh is who we are. We're like the grass. And the glory of man as the flower of the grass. The grass withers and its flower falls away. What does that mean? We're all going to die. But, verse 25, the word of the Lord endures forever. Now this is the word which by... The gospel, or the good news, was preached to you. So here the Lord tells us this. I know things might not seem like much is happening. I know you might feel like you're in a waiting pattern, but history is not. The world is moving towards its appointed time. Things are happening. The plan is right on time. People always ask me, do you know when the Lord's coming back? I go, yes, I do. I definitively do. You can write it down. You heard it from me. When is the Lord coming back? Right on time. That's when he's coming. I don't, what date? I have no idea. He didn't tell me. That's why the scripture says no man knows the day or the hour. But here's the problem, and we have to especially realize this is American. The enemy of God's plan in our life. Now some of you are like, "Oh, okay, how would I finish that sentence?" You know, "Oh, it's the devil. It's the devil. He made me do it." Or it's my wife. It's my husband. It's my kids. It's my job. It's my boss. It's my pastor. It's whoever it could be. Think of. But the enemy so often of God's plan in our lives is impatience. So many people think they should be at a certain place in life. And they're not there yet because it's not God's timing that they're there yet. There has to be a lot that has to happen in their life yet. There has to be maturity. There has to be experience. There has to be all kinds of different things. That's why the Scripture talks about pastors, do not lay hands on someone too soon. But we get impatient. And we push the envelope. You know, the Scripture teaches essentially in the Psalms that our job is not to promote ourselves. Our job is to prepare ourselves. And so our impatience is our enemy. But here's the thing if you're really in the Word of God and you're really listening to God, you will find out that the Word of God will keep you engaged, it will keep you from becoming complacent. And if you're open to it, the Lord will fill your life with opportunities. That may get you to say, you know what, I'm, I'm just not going to be impatient anymore because what I thought I wanted to do for God, I'm not really called to do that anymore. Or you'll begin to see how he is equipping you for the future. For most of my life, my Christian life, I was a Christian businessman. My goal was to retire at the age of 50 and to go serve with one of the campus ministries, uh, sell my companies, and, and, and serve, be a self supported missionary on campuses, hanging out, encouraging the Christians to hang in there, and evangelizing all the, pot, evangelizing all the potheads because I used to be one. That's what I thought I was going to do. I had no thoughts of being a church planter, no thoughts of, of, of doing what I'm doing now. But God had other plans. But while I was preparing, God was preparing me for something else. And so we can't be impatient about such things, or we may end up in the wrong place. See, when we sit at the Lord's feet and read and study and pray over the Word of God, it also helps us to step back from the absolute dizzying pace of American life. You have to sit quietly before the Lord. Sometimes people say, Pastor Jim, man, you're a tough guy to reach in the mornings. Well, you know what? I know that I could get up here, I could teach the Bible anyway, you know, just read the Bible, maybe read some other smart guy who wrote about it and just get up here and yak, 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 yak. But honestly, I spend most mornings sitting on the Word of God sitting on the text that I'm going to share with you guys. So it's not just some dead guy's thoughts or some contemporary guy's cool thoughts. It's really what does God have to say for his people. And when you sit quietly before the Lord, when you sit on what he says, that will help you when God's timetable and yours don't match up. You know why? Because they almost never do. They almost never do. Either he tosses you in the pool, you're like he throws you in the pool in the deep end and there's sharks in it, or more often than not, he's just not moving fast enough for you. Faith trusts that the Lord already has a solution and his timing has already been planned out And true faith is this. It's following Jesus between the promise and the fulfillment. Let me say that again because I don't want to go too fast on that one. A lot of times people will say, well, the Lord told me this. It's great. Maybe he did. I don't know. But true faith faithfully follows Jesus, is about the things of God, In between the promise that you've been given from God's word and the actual fulfillment of it. Because if we're impatient about that, in reality, who are we impatient with? We are impatient with God. But we can be confident, he says here, because it surely, it will surely come. Well, what what is a promise that's going to come for them? It will be the end of the Babylonian captivity. What will it be for us? It will be for the end of this virus. But ultimately, it's because, he says, because it will surely come. In reality, it's because he, the Lord Jesus, will surely come. Why? That's because history is moving towards that day. You say, oh, but he already came. Don't you know that, Pastor Jim? You're a pastor. You're supposed to know this stuff. He's promised to come again. He came the first time as a Savior. He comes the second time as a judge. And so he's talking about here probably what we refer to as the day of the Lord. But day of the Lord is not just a day. It's usually a time period associated with the second coming and the establishment of the kingdom of God and being fixed upon the word of God, being anchored in the word of God, will help all of us faithfully run the race while we wait. Jesus said this, Matthew 25, 23. His Lord said to him, and this is what we want God to say at the, at the very end of our lives. His Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of God. Of your Lord. Now, we tend to focus, if you've been a Christian for any length of time, we tend to focus on well done, good, and faithful servant, as well we should. But there's a very important phrase that's in this verse that I think is particularly important for this season. Jesus says this You have been faithful over a few things. A few things. That doesn't seem like much, does it? But Jesus says, I'm watching for that. I'm watching in this season of your life if you're faithful over a few things that you might not think are important, but are very important. Case in point, all of a sudden, somebody comes to your mind. You know, in this day and age, you can actually shoot them a text or an email or social message them, social media them some way. Do what God is asking you to do. It might seem little. You say, well, how do I know it's God? Listen, when God tells you to lovingly, caring, reach out for people, that's not a selfish thing. Now, if you're sitting home like, nobody's reaching out to me, that's your voice. But when God says to you, reach out to other people, that is clearly his voice. So when life is on hold or when it seems to be, number three, you will need God's ways. You will need God's ways. Verse 4. Verse 4 contrasts two attitudes towards God's way. There's the men and women of pride and the men and women of faith. And probably here speaking to uh, Habakkuk about the Babylonians and those who are like them. Verse 4. Behold the proud. Behold, look. Remember we said, look with spiritual eyes at the proud. Some versions say the puffed up. Behold the proud. His soul is not upright in him. Another version says, look, his ego is inflated. He is without integrity. Then it says, but, here's the famous verse, the just shall live by his faith. So let's look at that quickly. But contrast, something is different than the people earlier. The people earlier were proud, they're not upright, they lack integrity, but the people who are different, the just, some versions say the righteous, the idea is the upright, shall live by his faith. Now this is a very, very important verse, and today we're only looking at it from the way Habakkuk is preaching it or he's hearing it from God from that point of view. Verse 5. Indeed, because he transgresses by wine, he is a proud man. Another version says he's arrogant. Again, probably still talking about the Babylonians. And he does not stay at home. Another version says never at rest because he enlarges his desire. Some versions say his greed or his appetite as hell. And he is like death and cannot be satisfied. Another version says that it's like death that never has enough or as greedy as the grave. He gathers to himself all nations. Remember, that's what the Babylonians were doing. They're out-conquering people. And heaps up for himself or collects all peoples. So here God reveals his message. When things are insanely crazy, the arrogant become more arrogant. Such people, whether they are the arrogant Babylonians or the phony church people at the temple, will come under the judgment of God. And he says here, you can tell by the way they live. They're proud. That's different than being bold for the gospel. They're proud and their souls are not upright. In other words, they don't care what God says at all. The Psalms often use the term upright in heart. That's what God desires, not outwardly religious conformity. Wine in verse 5 is probably a picture of their foolish arrogance. Like the grave, how much wine is enough wine? Like the grave, uh, it's, the grave is never satisfied. The grave always wants more and more and more death. The grave is like a pit that cannot be filled. So greed and desire for more dominates and drives these people. This is actually part of the reason why the wicked often prosper. People say, why why do the wicked often prosper? Because that's what they pursue. That's what they go after. And a lot of times, what we run hard after is actually what we get. Yet this is also a caution for a follower of Jesus. If we lose our hope, and that's easy when when the world seems to be moving in a way that is contrary to the promises of God. If we lose our hope, it's very easy to chase after God's substitutes. Well, God didn't give this to me. I guess I'm going to have to go get it for myself. But at the end of verse 4, God says, but, different than those people, but, contrast, the just or the righteous shall live by his faith. And that his is actually singular. It's not a plural word. Now you say, is that in this life or the next? Exactly. Exactly. The just, those who are righteous in God's eyes because of their trust in the Savior, accept God's word and they seek to live it out daily. Are they perfect? No way. That's why they have to put their trust in God's Messiah, God's Savior. Only their Savior, Jesus Christ, is perfect. You say, well, he lived 600 years before Jesus. Well, he was looking forward to him. He's looking ahead. We're looking in the rearview mirror. Because unlike the people of Babylon, unlike the people of the world, they do try to live for the Lord. And righteous living would also differentiate them From the phony religious people of their land and the phony religious people of the temple. In our day, the phony religious people of the church. God's ways are a stable way of living that comes out of (laughs) its attention, the work of God in your life, and your own inner attitude. Both are at work together. So what would be some words that would describe such people? I think you could use the word genuine. They're genuine. They're real. They're sincere. They are reliable. They're faithful. They're conscientious. They're generous. We could go on and on and on with all kinds of words that could describe them. See, this life, the righteous that that lives by by his faith, it's it's not a life that sits around and waits. It's not a life that puts itself on hold. It's a life on the move. It's, It's faithfully living out the gospel, no matter what circumstances you and I may find ourselves in. It's a consistent life of living for the Lord, even when all around you, the world is falling apart. But I have to be honest with you about something. There can be, at times, sometimes, oftentimes, a a certain loneliness about this type of life. Because it will seem a lot often at times that the rest of the world, you're just out of sync with them. The rest of the world is in a flurry of activity that's only to benefit themselves. Yet the righteous, the just, seek the satisfaction they get from God. And now, we find ourselves having to do that while we're sitting at home. The literal meaning here is the righteous go on living his or her faith. They just continue on it. They're constantly leaning upon God and God alone. And as we're experiencing now, and this is a reality that you will experience sooner or later, virus aside, you see it from people in the Word of God. You're seeing it in Habakkuk's life right now. Sometimes God will allow our resources to come out from under us. And you might think, "Oh no, that's because God doesn't like me." The reality is is that God is giving you an opportunity for your faith to shine. God is giving an opportunity for your faith to become real. The life of faith can also be very painful. It walks with Jesus when Babylon comes. It walks with Jesus when a virus comes. It walks with Jesus when unemployment comes. It walks with Jesus when anxiety and depression and despair comes. Because that is the cross-centered life. As we pick up our cross, we deny ourselves, we pick up our cross, and we follow Jesus true, we speak of being the joyful Christian, and we should. We enjoy life, and we look forward to things, but there's other times when we simply press on in the power of the Holy Spirit. You say, but it's really hard. It's really hard to watch and to wait. Well, we'll, we'll look at how to do that next week. So I hope you can join us. You're like, I don't know how to watch and wait. Well, we'll look at that next week. But you can do it. You can do it. You know why you can do it? Because it's part of living by faith. Augustine said this. Some people call him Augustine. I have no idea. He lived around 400 A.D. He said this. Thou hast made us for thyself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in thee. So I guess the question is this. Are you the restless one, or are you the righteous one? Only two types of people here in Habakkuk, and there's only two types of people in the whole Bible. Augustine said, you'll never be righteous until your restless heart finds your rest in the Lord. Clearly here in Habakkuk, the restless or the unrighteous will die in their arrogance and the righteous will go on living by their faith both now and forever. Other hiccups? There are. Those who live by their trust in the promises of God, those who have trusted in Jesus are declared righteous in God's sight and don't have to worry about eternity. You say, Well, how do I start? I want that. How do I start? You simply come to the cross and put your trust in Jesus Christ. That he died on the cross in your place for your sins, and to prove that God was satisfied with what he did for you, God rose him from the dead. And so you trust in him, not yourself. You say, Well, I'm a good person. That's trusting in who? That's trusting in yourself. You trust in Him and not yourself, and you continue to trust in Jesus daily. And as you continue to trust in Jesus daily, you'll realize that your life is really not on hold. That in many ways, it's only just beginning. Because God is taking you from this season, He has a plan. It's right on time. It's sure. He does not lie. And though it might seem like he's moving you slowly now, it's part of the plan for your life that he's moving you from where you are right now, even in little things that you're to be faithful with, that I am to be faithful with, and he's moving us all towards eternity with him. Well, let's pray.